whether you're worshiping with us in person or whether you're worshiping with us through the live stream, I just want to thank you for making God a priority this morning. Out of everything else that I know you often want to do with your day, maybe you wanted to go for a walk this morning, maybe you wanted to stay in bed, maybe you want to stay in your pajamas, maybe you are in your pajamas, but you're still making a point to worship God first. And we're going to be talking about God being first a little bit later, but first, I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 2. Please turn to Daniel chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word, or in the pew Bibles in front of you, or on your phones or tablets. And again, I just ask, please stay at Daniel chapter 2. Let's not text our friends what we're having for lunch, or get on Facebook or social media. Let's put the things down that don't matter, and let's focus on God. Daniel chapter 2. After Isaiah, Jeremiah, after Lamentations and Ezekiel, or before Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, if you're reading those, you're probably too far. Let's turn back to Daniel. There's also, and there's no shame here, there's also that, that content section at the front of your Bible you can look to for the page number. But turn to Daniel. Now, there is a lot to read today and a lot to discuss. Daniel chapter 2 is the longest chapter in Daniel, and only by a few verses, but it is long. So we're going to be doing it a little bit differently today. I'm going to be discussing the verses as we read. So I'm going to be counting on my computer guys back there to keep this moving. But it is great for you to also have it open in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, please let me know. I'm going to talk about it as we go through. And I'm just going to say right now, this is going to be a multi-week chapter. I am giving in to the, God, to, to the Lord's leading as I realize there is just too much to discuss in one week. And we're going to just see where God leads each week. So this is going to be multi-week. But let's start with an introduction. Just a quick intro as you're finding Daniel chapter 2. You see, our last week in Daniel chapter 1, we read of Judah. In the third year of the reign of the new king Jehoiakim, being conquered by Babylon. The year was 605 BC. That means before Christ. And this is in the Old Testament. If you're still looking for Daniel, make sure you're in the Old Testament. Chapter 1 was largely a chapter introducing Daniel and his friends to us and acting as an introduction to the book to tell us kind of setting up the story and what's going to be happening and to see what type of people Daniel and his friends are. It tells us the backstory of where, of, of where they came from, but it also tells us the story of what's going to be coming next as we get to see their character and how they are men of great faith and great integrity. Now, we see that these men were stolen away from their homeland. They were stolen away and taken captive and taken into Babylon. Now, let's get back to my notes before I go on to that too much. But what we see is they are kind of like a, a type of a missionary in that day. They're being taken away from their people, but they're going to serve God in this new nation in mighty ways. Despite the culture, despite the country being, being highly devoted to false gods, to idols, to demonology, to evil ways, to sexuality and entertainment, which is all self-driven, they're going to stand up with their bold face and integrity and continue to do God's work. When Judah was sieged, Babylon took them prisoners. They're prisoners of war. They're captives. And yet they're going to come into a place where they have high positions of power and wisdom 
and authority to lead people, not in the false God ways, but in the one true God ways. Now, even though Babylon would try and change their names, which we talked about the last time, um, the names would be changed to Belshazzar, Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego, which all are trying to take away the names which had godly meaning to now give them names which try and point to the false gods. Even though this was happened, they would try and be brainwashed, they would still live for the one true God. If you want to talk about that, learn about that, tune into the last uh, sermon here. But what we see is their bold face and integrity continues to grow. As much as maybe Babylon is trying to brainwash them and get them to follow these false ways, they actually grow in their faith and integrity to God. They stand up more, and they're more bold with their faith. This right here is a lesson for us. Because in a lot of ways, we are like Babylon today. We're almost like Babylon rising now as you look around the world, and we see ourselves in the world around us often following evil ways before godly ways. We see ourselves worshiping many idols as if they are gods. We worship many false gods. And in many cases, before we even worship the true God. We're so focused on our own selfish entertainment and desires that we fail to see what is best for us through God's word. But what we learn here is that we need to stand up and be people of godly integrity and bold faith. But here's the whole point of Daniel. Overall, we're going to see that what is ultimately most important is to see that God's sovereign will and glory is going to be accomplished. Through the end of Daniel, we'll see that his kingdom is the one kingdom and only kingdom that will truly prosper forever and ever and will never be destroyed. We're going to get into some prophecy, and we're going to see what's going to happen both in the past and the future. But throughout all of this, what we see is Daniel is a man of bold face and integrity, he is a missionary doing God's work, but he's also a prophet telling the future of what God's going to do through his kingdom. But what you see too is despite all the problems in Daniel's life and ours, God is still in control. Let me say that again. Despite all the problems in Daniel's life and ours, because we face a lot of the same oppositions, persecutions, and struggles, God is still in control. Even when the worst unimaginable events begin to unfold before your eyes, God is still in control. He is still on the throne. His sovereign will will come to be, and he will be glorified. His kingdom is the only kingdom that will forever prosper and never be destroyed. So I know that was a long intro, but I wanted to kind of let you know where we were, especially since we took a week away. But we're going to start reading now. And I'm just going to read a few verses, then we're just going to stop and talk about it. Then I'm going to read a few verses, we're going to stop and talk about it. And again, we have a lot to get through in about 25 to 30 minutes. So I just want you to listen fast, take notes fast. And if you miss notes, well, you can watch it again later on YouTube, or you can email me, and I'll just email me all your notes, okay? Deal? Deal. Awesome. So let's follow along in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. We start out was reading about the problem. That is point number one, section number one, if you're taking notes, the problem. We start with the problem. Daniel 2.1 says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, 
Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled in his, his speech. I'm sorry, his sleep left him. Here we have the timing. We have the person and we have the problem. The story is setting the stage for us. God is explaining what is going on. And what is the problem? A dream. Now we've all had dreams, right? Have you ever had a dream which just sticks with you? It seems so real, so vivid that you just can't get it out of your mind. In fact, it is so vivid in your mind that it, it just strikes your curiosity. What does this mean? Maybe it was a good dream. Maybe it's a bad dream. Maybe you try to go to sleep because you want to finish that dream. Maybe it's because you left that dream as you were being chased by a monster and you need to see if you're still alive or not. Maybe that dream was great and you were, you were on cloud nine per se at the top of the mountain looking down at God's beautiful creation. Maybe you just got awarded that job promotion that you've been wanting for years. Maybe you just won the lottery with millions of dollars. Whatever it was, I'm just trying to set up. Maybe it was a good dream that you want to finish. Well, here we're reading of the problem. It's a problem. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he's probably thinking to himself, what did I have to eat last night? Because whatever it was, I need to stop eating that because this was not a good dream. Seriously, the king had a dream, and it was like a night tear. It was a nightmare. It was a bad dream. It was one that caused him great trouble. In fact, the scripture says his spirit was troubled so much that his sleep left him. He could not sleep. He's just tossing and turning restless in bed. Now, we don't know exactly. Was this one night? Was it two nights? How long could he not really sleep? But we do know that he was troubled, and it was driving him mad. Now, the, ba the Babylonians, like many cultures, place great, great importance on the meaning of dreams. They believe them to hold great power and meaning and wisdom for the future. So he just had to find out, what does this dream mean? So reading on in verse 2, we read, Then the king commanded the magicians, great, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to be summoned to tell the king his dreams. Let's stop there again for a moment. Again, there's going to be lots of stop and go. We're going to move fast. But this is interesting to note, that the king seems to invite everyone. He is gathering the most trusted, most important, wisest people, his inner circle, per se, of his greatest advisors. But there's no Daniel noted yet. There's no Daniel. He's inviting everybody else, but no Daniel. Let's read on. So they came in and stood before the king, verse 3. And the king said to them, I had a dream. Now they're probably thinking, good for you. I have dreams all the time too. I don't call this, this big meeting. <laughs> but if they're wise, which we're told they are, they probably don't say that because they don't want him to say off with your head. But he says, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled. So again, we know this is the second time he is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, notice the change in translation here, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. Yes, they think this is great. This is what we're here for. We can tell the king the meaning of the dream. We can finally be used. He can finally see how important we are to him. We can flatter him. We can make him, him happy for us. We can live another day. Maybe he'll let us eat from the king's table. 
Check chapter 1 for that. O king, live forever, they say. Tell your servants a dream, and we will show the interpretation. Even if they have to make up an answer just to make him feel good and to stay on his good side, they will tell him an important, uh, the, the interpretation. But there's more to his request, you see. We read on in verse 5. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and, notice that and, and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Now, kids, people, notice who said the Bible is not full of exciting stories. Here's a king threatening to tear apart his wisest people, his counsel, limb from limb. Now, this is a pretty tense situation, I think. But he goes on, he says, And your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, both, I want both, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. He is settling for no less than both. And now all of a sudden, these people are probably thinking, oh, no. What are we going to do? We need to tell him the dream and the meaning? Such pressure. This was serious. The, the dream had, been in, had seriously troubled the king. And the king was serious. He was so troubled that he wanted to make sure he had proof that they knew what the dream was so that he could really trust that their interpretation was going to be correct. The proof would be first telling him the dream itself. Not because he forgot, as some may believe. Some commentaries will say that, that it's possible that he forgot the dream. So they wanted him to tell him the dream first. I don't believe that to be true. I think there's too much here of telling us about why he was troubled and why he wants them to tell him the dream to say that, but some do believe that. I believe he was seriously troubled by this dream, and he wanted to make sure that he would receive a seriously truthful answer, not just flattery, not something that just made him happy, not something to just save their heads for another day. You know, it's interesting. One translation changes this. He was so serious about this that they would either receive a serious punishment or a serious reward and blessing. And one translation changes it. Instead of saying they would be torn limb from limb, it says they would be cut into pieces. Now, I don't know which one sounds more severe to you, but that's pretty severe. That is a serious punishment. And it says that their houses would be turned to rubble. Or more modern translation says they would, their houses would be turned to a trash dump. Wow. This king was not playing any games, and their lives were on the line. So we read on in verse 7 where it says, They answered a second time and said, Now this time, I think they are really pleading with the king. They're pleading with him. They're kind of begging for mercy and how they're trying to convince him. And he says, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. But the king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. That sentence Limbs torn limb from limb, cut into pieces, houses made into a trash dump, turned into rubble. And when they're talking about that, they might not even be talking about just the physical houses, 
but their legacies, their families also torn apart or at least sent onto the streets. We go on. And he says, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult. But they go on to say, it's not just difficult. No one can show it to the king except the gods. Well, they had one thing right. Only the God, the one true God, could really interpret this dream. But it goes on, no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Now, let's talk a few minutes here. You see, what they were saying, or at least thinking, I think, is this king is crazy. It says this king was very troubled. Well, I think they think this king has gone mad. This king has gone cuckoo. This king is nuts. How can he expect this of us? I mean, it says right here, there is not a man on earth who can meet this king's demand for no great and powerful king has ever asked such a thing. This king's nuts. No king's ever asked this of us. I can already imagine how they're all kind of gathering up in a corner or whispering under their breath or rolling their eyes as they say to each other, what does this king think he's doing? This king is nuts. Has he gone mad? Does he need committed to an insane asylum? He needs a doctor. He needs some medicine. I don't know. He needs a different type of magician, enchanter, and sorcerer, and wise person, that's for sure. But it says, the king is troubled, out of his not mind. It tells us no one could answer his plea, no one but God, whose dwelling is not with the flesh, but little did they know that God was going to give this blessing, this gift to a man of flesh. And this man's name would be Daniel. Daniel was God's missionary and a prophet. And here we will see that he will deliver the news to the king. And through Daniel, through God's usage of Daniel, the king would see the power, the sovereignty, the glory and control of his great God, his great God. Let me say that again, because there's some things that I wish I could have put a slide on for you, but I also wanted to keep the scripture up here. So I'm gonna say this again if you're taking notes or if you're just like, got in my head, pastor, no pencil needed. The king would see the power the sovereignty, and the glory and control of Daniel's great God. Let's read on. Verse 12 says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought out Daniel and his companions to kill them. Wow, can you imagine here? Daniel and his friends, prisoners of war, captured and brought all this way to this new nation, made eunuchs, as somebody pointed out to me, to make noted. They're minding their own business. They're learning the ways of this new nation. They're trying to, to get on the king's good side as long as it doesn't sacrifice their godly, um, God's will and doing what God tells them to do, as we saw in chapter one. And yet, now they're gonna be killed after all this? 
And they didn't even get a chance, did they? Without even a chance to answer the king themselves. Yes, but I want you to see Daniel's response. Let's read from verse 14 on. Still following along? Great. Verse 14 says, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch. Now, Arioch is the king's guard there. And it says, uh, um, prudence and discretion, but some translations said he would reply with counsel and wisdom. I actually like that translation better there, but combined, they give us a greater meaning. Daniel was going to reply with prudence, with discretion, with counsel, with wisdom to the captain of the king guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Verse 14. 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain. And I really think he said this kind of wisely, kind of prudently, urgently, but also wisely with a calmness about him because he knew the God he served. And he says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Now, I I do kind of think he probably said this calmly and wisely. He didn't go to the king and, why is the king's decree so urgent? Did I wake you up? He probably said it calmly. Why is the king's decree so urgent? As he's trying to understand, as he's trying to kind of plan with wisdom and with counsel, what is he going to do now? So he says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. He explains what had been happening. So obviously Daniel and his friends were not there. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel already had that kind of face Jessica was talking about with those pencils being poked through that water, um, that bag of water over Faith's head. Daniel was already promising to tell him the interpretation. Here's what I want you to notice about Daniel's response. Daniel does not panic. He does not panic. One pastor once said, I like this quote, Again, write it down or message me later. I'll send it to you. One pastor once said this. Unbelievers may respond with threats and anger, but godly people should respond with wisdom and faith. Let me say that once again. I believe this was Pastor David Platt, but it's unbelievers may respond with threats and anger, but godly people should respond with wisdom and faith. So you see, Nebuchadnezzar, he was responding with great threats and anger. I mean, to tear limb from limb and be cut into pieces, that's a pretty great threat, and that is anger. But we see with Daniel as a godly person who responds with wisdom and faith in God. He goes to the king and asks to be appointed a time to be told the interpretation. Daniel thinks clearly, level-headed, wisely, but prudently as he questions the guard, and he wisely searches for the answer. He does not run from the problem. Now, I'm even trying to think about all these other wise men, sorcerers, enchanters, magicians, as I kind of wondered, did they go running? Are they trying to hide? I mean, if you're being told that you're going to be torn limb from limb, cut into pieces, your house is going to be turned into a trash dump, rubble, you're probably taking your family into hiding. You might be looking for that cave to hide in. But Daniel doesn't run from the problem. He seeks to solve the problem through God. He thinks to himself, let's get down to business. Let's solve this mystery. 
And the guard tells him what has happened. Now, my guess is this guard did not want to kill Daniel and his friends. This guard probably did not want to kill anybody. If that was the case, when Daniel started asking questions, the guard could have just killed him on the spot. How dare you even question the king? How dare you even question what I'm about to do? But no, the guard likes that he's being told an option. He probably thinks, sure, let's give this a try. Maybe this is a possible solution so I don't need to shed all this blood. Again, see, Bible stories are exciting. He thinks, sure, let's give it a try. And he apparently grants Daniel's request. And there's some time before Daniel will meet with the king with answers. He must give Daniel time to get this interpretation right. Now, even this, I think, is a godly ordained thing. This is God sovereignly providing. Because here we see that the king Nebuchadnezzar did not want to grant more time to his wisest people, that inner circle, the people he trusted most. But yet we see the king is going to grant Daniel time to come back with this interpretation. Here's what I wrote down about this. I put down, when God is on your side, you put him first and God's will first. God's will will work things out. When God is on your side and you put him first, God's will first, he will work things out for the greater glory, which is his will and his people. Let's read on here. We move from the problem to the prayer and the praise. The problem to the prayer and the praise. And we're gonna get to the answers next week, the interpretation next week. But reading on, we see again, no panic. Look again, Daniel's response, no panic. Instead, a prayer meeting, a prayer meeting with other godly men. Verse 17, we read, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them. Now I think as he told them, he's kind of now pleading with them. Men, let's have a prayer meeting. Men, come before the Lord with me. Men, let's pray desperately. Let's plead with God for him to answer our prayer. We need his help. Even this, we learn lessons from. How much more should we be doing these things? We should be gathering together with other men and women of God and pleading with them to pray with us for God the Father, creator of heavens and earth, to answer our prayers, to give us the wisdom we need, the strengths we need, the hope that we need. Verse 18, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, let's wait a moment. I wanna point out some irony here. How did God reveal this mystery? It says in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. You know what this tells me? This tells me that Daniel prayed. He prayed to God and then he waited. Peacefully, he waited. He went to sleep. That's how patiently he was praying to God, that either God put him to sleep so that he would have this mystery revealed, or Daniel was so at peace with knowing that God was going to take care of them one way or another, he was able to sleep. So here, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're told, was so troubled he could not sleep. 
Yet Daniel was so at peace, even during this great threat, he was able to sleep. I just think that's, that's to be pointed out here. He slept well, so well he was dreaming, so well he was sleeping like a baby, and this dream was so vivid, he would remember it and be able to not just tell Nebuchadnezzar the meaning of the dream and make something up, he would tell him the dream itself and the true interpretation which only God could give. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, read along with me. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. Stop there quickly. You see, God does the same for us today. God reveals deep and hidden things to us. Through salvation in Christ, we have the deep and hidden thing, which is a restored relationship with God. Through this relationship with Christ as your Lord and Savior, and through God, this restored relationship, we have the Holy Spirit within our lives to help interpret Scripture, to help us understand what it means, to help us understand what God's will for us is, and to help us to see the future hope that we have in Him. God reveals the hidden things to us every single day, but we need to take time to acknowledge it. That's what Daniel and his friends are doing here. Daniel and his friends are acknowledging the hidden things that have been revealed to him. They're praising him. And he goes on, he knows what is in the darkness, speaking of God, and the light dwells with him. God knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. He says, God's got this. God's got this. God's already revealed the mystery and I can see his will unfolding. And he says, therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Daniel, of Babylon and Daniel. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. We're gonna stop there for today, but not first with, without a few points, a few take-homes, a few applications. You see, Daniel does not panic. He knows that God is in control and he seeks wisdom from his God. He calls a prayer meeting. And that is my application number one. My point that I want you to take home and consider is this. How good are you at recognizing the sovereignty of God and going to him in prayer in your times of need? Daniel and his friends recognize the sovereignty of God, God's control, God's power, God's wisdom. And they didn't try and solve it all on their own. They went to him in their time of need. Second, I want you to notice that Daniel did not seek to solve these problems on him alone. He went to his friends, his brothers, his godly brothers in Christ, his godly counsel, and invited them in to pray with him. That's point two. Point two is, I'm sorry, they got a good point that I skipped over. Prayer is never to be a last resort plea out of desperation when all else fails. 
but instead it should be the first impulse when faced with a crisis. I'll give you a moment to write that down or for you not taking notes to imprint it on your brains. Prayer is never to be a last resort plea out of desperation when all else fails. Prayer should be the first impulse when faced with a crisis. Point two now, thank you, Will, for keeping me on track. How good are you at inviting your brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with you? Seriously, consider that. We can pray on our own, and we should. But how often do you pray with brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, this means putting down your pride. This means putting down your guards. This means letting people in to know your struggles, to know your weaknesses, and yes, in some cases, to know your sins. But God intends us to pray with others. God's in, God intends us to have our other brothers and sisters in Christ, godly wisdom, godly counsel in our lives to help us. Lastly, so we need to call a prayer meeting. Lastly, notice God's response and Daniel's response. You see, God answers their prayers. God blesses Daniel with the great gift of knowledge of the king's dream and the ability to interpret the dream too, something no other person can do. Something that the king's people themselves said nobody could do this but God. Daniel was about to do it. Daniel praises God before doing anything else. Their lives are on the line. All their lives are on the line. They're about to be pulled limb from limb, cut into pieces, houses turned to rubble. And yet he takes time to praise God first. Praise God first. The last take home is this. How good are you at not just praying to God, but waiting for his answer and then praising him for the answered prayers before acting? Now, that's a lot there. That's kind of several points in one, but I want you to write that down and really consider it. How good are you at not just praying to God, but waiting for his answer, sleeping on it, per se, and then praising him for the answered prayer before acting? before acting. That's what we see Daniel doing here. You see, we are so good at getting ourselves into trouble, and we're so good at trying to fix things ourselves, but that is honestly what gets us in trouble to begin with. We're not meant to fix things ourselves. We're not meant to live by ourselves. We need God. God gave us the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus, so that we might have a restored relationship with him, This is the solution to our ultimate problem, which is sin and death and an eternity separated from him. We need Jesus to solve the ultimate problem. God gave us Jesus, and we need to accept him as Lord and Savior, but then we need to go to him in prayer. We need to do these things. We need Jesus, but this does not mean that we will stop having problems. Jessica talked about that in her children's message. We need Jesus, but this does not mean that we will stop having problems. What it means is that God will be with us to guide us through those problems. God will be with us to guide us through those problems. You see, if Christians are to stand firm in a crisis, it's not enough to know God knows and understands what's happening. We must also know that God is ultimately in control of all things. God knows what is happening and he is still in control. 
No matter what is happening in this life, God is still sovereign and in complete control. That is the main theme that we'll see throughout Daniel is God is still sovereign and in complete control throughout all of history and throughout the future. And his kingdom alone will forever prosper. In fact, I believe that God is in so complete control, so much control, that I think that he stirred up the king with these dreams. He wanted the king to recognize him as the one true and all-powerful God, even as just for a moment. He wanted to see the power of Daniel's God. I believe that God creates impossible situations to point to his ultimate greatness, and you should too. God creates impossible situations to point to his ultimate control and greatness. God is good all the time. I also think it's good to point out that quite possibly, God wanted Daniel to also be seen as worthy. Not so that Daniel took away from the praise of God, but I think that Daniel having this great recognition from the king would help Daniel to more freely work as a missionary for God throughout his time in that kingdom, in that empire, to do his job as a prophet and a missionary. So here as we move to close, here are some things for you to consider. We are all missionaries. We're all people of God. We are all Daniels. We are people set apart for holy living, following Christ, living for him and his ways, even in this crazy time, this crazy culture, this culture which is like Babylon, following after our own selfish desires, false gods, idols, evil ways, sexuality, and entertainment. We are set apart by God to be living according to his ways, and we need to stand up with bold faith and integrity. We need to do as he says and as he does and allow his sovereign will to act through us. It's gonna happen no matter what. We need to turn to him. We are Daniels living as missionaries in a corrupt and evil, sin-filled world. How are you living for God? Are you living with Christ in your life? Are you living a surrendered, committed life to Christ? Are you living according to his ways because his ways are the best ways? We are Daniels and we need to have bold faith and integrity. We need to go to God in prayer. God will lead you through. His sovereign will is going to prevail. His kingdom will come to be and it will be the one and only to never be destroyed. More on this in the coming weeks. Guys, this is exciting. The book of Daniel is exciting. And there are exciting weeks to come where we're going to see that his kingdom will come. Jesus will come. And his kingdom will last forever and forever prosper. So as you go home, I want you to remember these three points simplified. One, do not panic, pray. Pray first. Two, pray with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Let them in. And three, wait for God's answers and praise him. Praise him first. Even when you fear what's about to happen, even when the king of the world has given you great threats, even when Satan has threatened your family, your livelihood, your jobs, your finances, your marriage, your families, go to God first. Seek him out in prayer. Do it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let them in. 
Wait for God's answers. Don't just lean on your own understanding. Ask him for the understanding. And then praise him for the answered prayers. When was the last time you followed these steps for success? When was the last time you spent time just praising God for answered prayers? Let's start it today. Let's praise God. Let's pray to God, but not alone with others. Let's close in prayer now. Lord, we thank you that you are the God that listens. You are the God that answers prayers. You are the one true God and are sovereign and in control at all times, both over the past and the present and the future. Lord, we praise you that you listen and you answer prayers. We praise you for this story which helps us today and convicts us today and encourages us today to come to you. And Lord, we just come to you now and we ask you in a world full of so much pain, so much misery, so much deception, so much lies, so much negativity, so much hate. Lord, we just pray to you and ask you to help us to be men and women of faith, faith in the one true God, faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Help us to listen to the Holy Spirit in our lives as he equips us and helps us. And Lord, help us to stand up with bold faith and integrity and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all creation. Help us to live for you. Amen. Thank you.